Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. Today, we should be approaching the end of what the announced lockdown was going to be. There should be eager anticipation within our hearts that we're about to go to God's house on Easter Sunday, that we're back to work on Monday, and instead we've got several more weeks of this that have been announced. Different people respond in different ways. I've encouraged that you just settle in, adapt, redo your plans a little bit, talk as a family, change things up a little bit, change the schedule up a little bit. But one of the big things I want to talk to you about is not fighting and arguing with each other. But we're going to get that in just a minute. As we go to prayer this morning, as a family, you're not going to get through this unless you pray together. Unless each one of you recognizes that the source of our provision is God. Unless each one of you recognizes that the government cannot feed us, only God can. That God will bless the work of our hands, that God is faithful to his promises. I mean, there's some things that have to happen in each and every family member's heart where you're going to see the reality of God. Father, there are many that I'm talking to this morning. They sit there in a family with other Christians around, but they've turned their back and walked away from you years ago, or they've looked upon all of this as such foolishness all through the years. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, not for a sign. I don't put you to the test, Lord. But I just ask that you let a new generation see how real you are. Just like you did in Joshua's generation. They didn't just live upon the miracles that their fathers had told in the past and how you parted the sea. You parted the Jordan for that generation. You let that generation see how real you are. You had the sun stand still in the sky. You let that generation see how real you are. Father, I ask for this generation. Many of us have seen so many miracles. Father, if we never saw another miracle, we would still not doubt your reality. But Father, there's a new young generation that's been raised to disbelieve. That every class they went to in school that Everything they hear constantly around them is Christians aren't people of science, <laughs> but we are, Lord. We just know there's a God at the base of it all. Father, let a new young generation see how real you are. I don't care how you do it. I don't care if it's little things or big things. I just ask that for every family, they see your hand of provision. That every young person sees how God has made a way where there was no way. That they see how real it is that you act on their behalf. Father, glorify your name among us today. Glorify your name. The entire world is standing still right now. Let the entire world see how real you are. And what the devil meant to be a destruction to the human race... Let this thing turn around to be a great blessing for the kingdom of God and usher in a great revival because you've shown how real you are. Father, for every family, for every life, for every heart, make your reality known. Walk into homes and do miracles. 
Walk into financial situations and bring provision. Let people see the reality of their God. In Jesus' name. Let's open up our hearts and stand with me. Remember, worship is not spectator. Worship is participative.
Every morning we like to begin with Psalms 91. This is, this is a psalm that we will never forget for the rest of our lives. For many of you, this psalm was not very important. But now you begin to understand why God put this psalm in the Bible. What a source of faith, comfort, and encouragement for us in times like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. My God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. 
Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. Did you hear that? When you call to him, he will answer you. I will be with him in trouble. Is this times of trouble? Yeah. And he said, I'll be with you. I'm not a fair weather friend. God doesn't just hang out with us in the good times. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Did you hear that? Honor you. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let me talk to you about something very practical for a moment. Husbands and wives, some of you are beginning to have some um, <clears throat> disagreements. All over the world right now, believe it or not, they say spousal abuse and child abuse is running rampant because of people locked in homes with each other. I cannot imagine anything more sad. If anything, it should be a great time of family bonding and enjoying one another. But financial pressures have made this difficult for some. And have you ever noticed whenever there's a lack of money, everybody argues? <laughs> yeah. Money, the pressure of money is, is something that brings so many arguments in marriages. Families, can I ask you today, don't argue about how to spend money. Pray together, pull together for God to provide more money. We'll talk more about that in the, in the service tonight. But right now, let me bring you just one testimony of a couple that I know, and I've watched them, and they're so sweet with each other. They're so cute. It's just beautiful to watch a man and a woman in love with each other. And look at what God has done for them. Hello po si OP. Ako po si Luther Yabut. I'm Sisme Anyabut. We would like po to testify the goodness of God sa buhay po namin. Kasi po sa business po namin, uh, I'm doing the medical products. So kahit po naka-lockdown po yung most of the businesses dito sa Metro Manila, continue pa rin po na may mga pumapasok na order. And sa katunayan nga po, may mga umorder po na marami from Mindanao. Sa awa po ng Panginoon, nakakita kami po ng magandang supplier na dumating naman po on time. So we are testifying din po na na-wave po yung rent po ng shop namin ng one month. Kaya po nagkaroon po kami ng privilege na makapag-share po ng blessing namin. Uh, gumawa po kami ng funds para po doon sa relief goods po na ipapamigay po namin. So we are testifying po ang goodness po talaga ni Lord uh, in spite po sa pandemic po ngayon. <laughs> God is good and His mercy endures forever. So many of our people finding new suppliers, new buyers, new products, new business ideas. We're going to be, I've got about 15 of these already lined up and members are sending them in. If God has done something special for you, maybe it's just like our one sister who's selling fresh lumpia for 40 pesos per piece. And, and she's, she's feeding her family. I mean, we're not getting rich right now, but we're, we're seeing food on the table for our families. 
Now, for many of you, that's not an issue. God has been good to you, and you've got beautiful reserves, and you've been you've been a good steward, and you you gathered up the twelve basketfuls left over, and you know there's not a problem. But for some of our families that are daily wage earners, no work, no pay, this is a time where they need miracles. So we're going to keep sharing the little miracles with you. They may not look look like big miracles to other people, but as a pastor who watches the faithful hand of God. God is good and his mercy endures forever. We're going to start reading today in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. I'm sorry, Luke 16, beginning with verse 19. Dishonest manager was yesterday. Welcome to live TV. Luke 16, beginning with verse 19. The rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who had feasted sumptuously every day. So notice the benefits of wealth beautiful clothing, and not just stylish clothing, beautiful clothing, and feasting sumptuously. You don't just eat a lot, but you eat a lot of good food. Sometimes poor people get fat because they eat a lot, but they eat a lot of cheap food, high carbs. Here's a man who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, please, I'm a dog person. And all of you dog people will understand what I'm about to say. Those of you that are not dog people, you're, you're grossed out by this. The, the dog came and licked his sores. See, dogs have compassion. In fact, sometimes dogs have more compassion than people do. And when dogs see something like this, they will come up and they're cleaning the wound. This is a dog trying to help. And actually, it works pretty good. This dog came up and was cleaning the wounds of this poor man. He couldn't afford medical attention. So the compassion of a dog came. This is, and and really, this really is something that works, okay? But I just love the fact that dogs have compassion when they see pain, when they see suffering. Dogs come up and try to help. Have you ever, and, and I really want you to understand this because Dogs are part of God's creation. I remember one day I saw Shasha crying because one of her puppies had gone to be gone to puppy heaven. And the other dogs came up and were nuzzling her and staying close by her and licking her because the dogs saw that she hurt. Dogs have compassion. It's it's a very beautiful thing that to, to begin to look at all of God's creation. Yes, man is created in the image of God. But God put some beautiful things in the hearts of all of the rest of his creation. That that may not be very theologically properly said, all right? Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, notice how different this is. This is old covenant death. Jesus fulfilled the law, but Jesus also made a few new things. In John 14, Jesus said, that, you know, I will come again and receive you unto myself. When a person dies, Jesus does not send an angel to come and get you. You're not met by Peter at the pearly gates. There's not a white light at the end of a tunnel that you move toward. This is all strange things that people come up with. What actually happens is you blink your eyes and Jesus is there. So, This is old covenant salvation that they would understand Jesus had not yet died and rose again and ascended into heaven yet. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
and in Hades, in hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, I want you to notice the reality of hell. There's a lot of people today that like to say that Satan does not exist, and they especially want to say that hell does not exist. Even many Christian preachers today say that there is no hell, that a God of love would never allow there to be a hell. But obviously Jesus is teaching that there is a hell. He's telling this story and saying, listen, let me deal with the realities, both spiritually and physically, this world and the next world of what, what, what is and what is to come. And he said, he lifted up his eyes in hell, in hell being in torment. Now, there is the reality of hell. There are people who will die, and when they blink their eyes, there's no Jesus. When they blink their eyes, there's nothing but eternity in hell ahead. And notice, being in torment, hell is not a place to hang out with your buddies. It's like one guy said, man, I don't want to go to heaven. All my friends are going to be in hell. I want to go to hell and hang out with my friends. No, no, no. Uh, we don't see that this guy's having any fellowship with anybody. You talk about isolation. You talk about lockdown. I think hell is going to be a place of lockdown where there is complete isolation. Because we don't find this guy fellowshipping with anybody. He can see into heaven, but we don't find him looking around at the rest of hell. And being in torment, it is hell is real, and it is a place of torment. It's not a place of hanging out and partying with your, your friends from earth. It's a place of torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. So, in hell, you can see heaven. Hmm. Maybe that's what makes it the torment. In hell, he could see heaven, and he could see the people of heaven. It doesn't say he could see the other people of hell, but in hell, in his torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he could see into heaven. And he saw Lazarus, and he saw Abraham. He could see them afar off. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So notice, he, he could speak to the people of heaven. He could see the people of heaven, but we don't find him speaking and talking to the people of hell. There's no fellowship in hell. And send him to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. So hell is a place of torment. It's a place of extreme thirst, and it's a place of flame. Flames that never consume, that only torment you. Flames that never consume, but only torment you. So, torment, thirst, flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things, and Lazarus in the manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. So heaven is a place of comfort. Hell is a place of torment, thirst, anguish. In other words, God said, you know what? This is, this is separated for eternity. Heaven and hell are separated for eternity. God has fixed a great chasm. Nobody from heaven in their compassion can go over and help somebody in hell. And nobody in hell to escape their torment and anguish and thirst can come over to heaven and have a vacation. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, did they believe Lazarus when he rose from the dead? Mm -mm. Did they believe Jesus when he rose from the dead? Mm -mm. So Jesus is telling people a truth. There's always ways to justify not listening to people. If you want to learn the law and the prophets, Moses and the prophets are there. But, but don't think that somebody rising from the dead is going to get people's attention. Chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come. All right. Now, this is a reality of life. Temptations are sure to come. Okay. Folks, temptation is a thought. To, to, to put it as simply as I can put it, temptation is a thought. And the more you think on it, the, the worse things get. Whatever you feed grows, whatever you don't feed dies. Temptation to sins are sure to come. This is going to come. Paul said, hey, when temptation comes, it's common to all men, but God will also make a way of escape. Remember, he taught that to the church in Corinth. Temptations are sure to come. Just because you're tempted did not mean you sin. Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. All right, so temptation comes through people. Oh, see, there, there are some people that you can be around that will help lead you in the path of righteousness, and then there are people that you can be around that will bring temptation to your life. He said, now, it would be better for him, the one who brought the temptation, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. Ah, now, look at this from two completely different viewpoints. Number one, pay attention to yourself. Temptation is going to come. There are going to be people in your life that bring temptation to you. Pay attention to yourself. Don't just follow what everybody else is doing. I mean, please, come on. Let, let's, let's be real. Do you remember your first drink? Your first drink of alcohol. Come on, don't be spiritual. Remember your first drink of alcohol? I do. Why did you drink it? Well, because some guys were passing it around. I was probably in eighth grade, Lowell Junior High School, and they were passing around vodka. Come on, it'll grow hair on your chest. And we didn't have any hair on our chest when we were that age yet. And everybody made fun of you and if you didn't do it. So there's, there's a pressure to conform. Remember how I always say that, that, that the world and its sin and the kingdom of darkness, that they do not tolerate, they do not tolerate disagreement. They do not tolerate nonconformity. Sin demands conformity. He said, so pay attention to yourself. Now, honestly, there are a lot of people that you just don't need to be around in your life. There are people that bring temptation to my life, and I don't hang around them anymore. If I'm at a pastor's conference and preachers are talking about, you know, topless beaches in Australia, you know what? I, I don't hang around those guys anymore. I don't need that in my life. I'm a normal guy. I don't need to hear things like that. When, when you sit around and you listen to guys talk about this or talk about that, I don't care whether they're preachers or board members or whatever. I don't need that in my life. So pay attention to yourself. So that's one viewpoint. The second viewpoint, pay attention to yourself. 
make sure that you're not the one through whom temptation is coming. Ah, you see, forgive me, but some of us are doing some things that we shouldn't be doing. And again, you want people to join you. Since the very first sin, Eve ate of the fruit and then gave some to Adam. There's something in us. There is a generosity to sin. I don't know any other way to say it than there's a generosity to sin. And we're doing something wrong, and we know we're wrong, and we want people to join us in it. Pay attention to yourselves. It's a hard thing when you've, when you've stumbled somebody else and you've brought somebody else down. I will never forget one of our people coming to me one day. He'd been a former alcoholic. God had set him free. And he was traveling, and he went to this other church. I won't say where. And the pastor said, come on, I want you to come out with us after. Some of us guys are going out after the service tonight. So he thought, well, this would be great, because he thought that pastor would be like me, and they were going to go get some food or something. Well, instead, they went to a pub. They went to a club. Um, and everybody was drinking. He had not drunk a single thing in over 15 years. And that night, he started drinking again. He didn't get drunk that night but he felt so guilty and he couldn't say no to it. The next night he was in his hotel room and there's all that alcohol there and he got drunk and he was drinking every day until he got home and his wife caught him and they came to see me. And I just thought, you know, if that pastor had just paid attention to himself and not led somebody else astray, now, he continues, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Don't join him in it. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Ah, so if temptation is coming through somebody into your life, don't just stand there and accept it. Rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. But now notice. Repentance always precedes forgiveness. See, Christianity wants to walk around and confuse a root of bitterness with forgiveness. You cannot forgive somebody until they repent. Forgiveness is not for you. Forgiveness is a gift that you give somebody else so that they can be restored to relationship with you. Forgiveness is something they desire because they know the relationship has been broken. And until they repent, there can be no restoration of that relationship. He said, now, if they sin against you seven times and they ask forgiveness, you forgive them seven times. But, folks, a root of bitterness is something that comes into our heart because we're angry at what somebody did to us and they never ask forgiveness. So you keep the root of bitterness out, but forgiveness is something that you must give to people. When they repent and they want the relationship restored, they don't want any barriers in the relationship, you always give that forgiveness. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. They thought everything was about having more faith. And the Lord said to them, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, here's one of these things that you often hear me talk about, that there's no seniority with God. There's no, you know, these are the special men of God. You know, Jesus is saying, listen, you think it's about having more faith. You don't understand. It's not a question of how much faith you have. It's a question of do you use that faith? Do you say to that 
mustard seed? Do you do you say to that that mountain, be thou removed and planted in the sea? Do you speak to that tree? Are you letting the abundance of your heart, the word of God, come out of you into a confession of faith that speaks? Not not parroting something because you've got an intellectual knowledge of a verse, but you've so gotten the word of God down in your inside that it just flows out of you as, as a word of faith. And he said, listen, you, you need to stop thinking about growing your faith and start thinking about using your faith. Now, now that, that's an incredible truth that you just need to get a hold of. If you are a baby Christian, and honestly, this is why sometimes baby Christians see more miracles than mature Christians, because they're not trying to increase their faith. They're just trying to use what has already been put within them. Ah, you can go meditate on that one for a while today. Verse 7, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, this is an employer-employee relationship, Say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table. <laughs> no, if somebody's your employee, they're not your family. Will he rather not say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and then afterward you may eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? No, so also you, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, I taught this years ago as what I call Christian HR. I want you to understand proper expectations of the workplace. The bosses at your workplace have the right to tell you what clothes to wear, how to dress. They can have a dress code. Biblically, they can have a dress code. They can tell you what to do. They can tell you that, you know what, you put the boss before yourself when the boss says, First you take care of me, then you can take care of yourself. You, you do it, and, and you do as you're told, and you don't ever expect a thank you because, you know what, you just did what you were commanded. You just did what you were paid to do. So don't, don't have these expectations of thank yous and these expectations of pride and entitlement. All you did was your duty. In the same way, spiritually speaking, when we fulfill the Great Commission, when we go out and do a crusade and get bunch of people born again, when we go out and see a bunch of people healed, when, when we go out and sacrifice and do great things for the kingdom, we should never expect God to give us a thank you. We've just done as we are commanded. We've just done our duty. Now, now, sometimes in Christianity, we're always looking for people to pat us on the back and say thank you, or we're looking for people to motivate us with the thank yous. And you know what? Forgive me, all we have done is our duty. Some, I, I talked with a young pastor one time, and he said, Pastor Sermon, I just don't understand it. The church members never say thank you, and I work so hard. And I said, I told him, I said, welcome to life. We're, we don't do this because we have the expectations of thank yous, and we have the expectations of honor. As a pastor, when you sacrifice and serve your people, you have just done your duty. We are unworthy servants. We have not done even more than was expected. So maybe let's get our expectations back in place and quit looking for people to prop us up and give us big clap offerings and say thank yous and recognize, you know what, if that happens, that's wonderful. But if it doesn't happen, that's not a problem. The attitude I take about myself is I'm an unworthy servant and I've only done my duty. When I do that, when I keep that attitude, I'm never disappointed. 
when I work my butt off and there is no thank you, it's not a problem. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. I've only done what was expected of me. If you keep that attitude, you don't get hurt in life. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Joshua chapter 8, beginning with verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has yielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now, let me just stop there. Do you remember when we read that passage earlier and they had to take these uncut stones and then next to them, they had a series of stones that they plastered over and this is where they wrote it. Now, someplace back in antiquity, there was this huge, I mean, how much of this was written? Is this the entire Pentateuch? Is this the entire Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Is this just a portion of Deuteronomy? Is this just a portion of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? I don't know. I do not know exactly how you would define the co a copy of the Law of Moses. I know it's far more than the Ten Commandments. But they wrote on these stones. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, all of it. The blessings and the curse, according to all that was written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel, the women, the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Now, I want you to notice that in what we call the Old Testament, everybody lived by the same rules. You know, you, you can't divide it up and say, well, this was for the Jew and this was not for the Jew. Because if you lived among the Jews, they were to treat you the same as they treated everybody else. Let me say that again. They were to treat you the same as they treated everybody else. They were, they were to be tolerant of aliens living among them because God kept reminding them, the aliens, you were, you were once aliens in Egypt. So remember how that felt and you treat the aliens that live among you properly. No prejudice, no bigotry. No second set of rules, no, no stricter laws, no lesser laws. You, you treat everybody the same. And really, when you get among the Jewish people to this day, you, you find that same attitude. They, they are very tolerant and very unprejudiced, at least the ones that I know. <laughs> Joshua chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, Jebusites, these are the folks that live in Jerusalem, that later King David threw out of Jerusalem. When they heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So they all banded together to make a big army. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. Now, please, folks, understand there's two ways to beat you. There is direct force, and then there's cunning. You have to be careful that when you're always expecting an attack, 
you are not watching out for the cunning. There's more than one way to hurt you. They acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out, torn, and mended, and with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us then. How can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Now notice, Sip, 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 sip. We've heard about the greatness of God. <laughs> Be careful when people sound religious. Cunning people often hide their deceit with a cloak of spirituality. Let me say that again. Cunning people often hide their deceit in a cloak of spirituality. Verse 11. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand. For the journey and go meet them and say to them, We are your servants, now come and make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses, lie, as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new, lie, when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments of our sandals were worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions. But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now notice, people can fool us. You know, one of the things I've had to learn in life is it's really easy to fool me. It's really easy to fool me. And sometimes I just think, well, I'm so stinking naive, that's terrible. But when you're an honest person, it's really easy to fool you because you look at things honestly. This is what they said, so okay. They said this bread was warm when they left, and now, yeah, it looks like good proof, good evidence. Yeah, they said these wineskins were new, but now they're burst and patched. Yeah, they said their clothes were new, and now they're all worn out in a mess. Okay, so it looks like they're proving their point. But notice, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. See, you cannot deceive God. <laughs> you need to get a hold of that one. When people are trying to deceive you, the solution is prayer, because people cannot deceive God. They can fool your eyes. They can put on a smile and hide behind a cloak of spirituality and deceive us, but they can't deceive God. So when people are wanting you to do things, and you know what God's will is, come back to God in prayer. And God will show you things, all right? God will show you things. You, you can deceive us, but you can't deceive God. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors. <laughs> it only took three days for the lie to be revealed. And that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out to reach their cities on the third day. They went up to fight. They were mad. 
You lied to us. You deceived us. Now we're going to kill you. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beroth, Kiriath Jearim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord. Now there's a, a phrase that you have to understand. They'd sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel that all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Now, here's a great truth of leadership. When you make bad decisions, people are going to be upset. Well, you know, all this grumbling and complaining from the church members. Well, you know what? Sometimes church members grumble and complain because we were idiots as leaders. Yee. I mean, please, we, we got to face that. When you make bad decisions, the people have a right to murmur against us. Okay, I mean, that's, that's just reality. You, you could sit there and say, oh, these people are grumbling against the Lord. They're not grumbling against the Lord. They're grumbling against our bad decisions. So as, as leaders in church, we have to understand sometimes people murmur against us, not because they're being unspiritual, but because we've been foolish and made really bad decisions, and our bad decisions are being seen. But all the leaders said to the congregation, we've sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we may not touch them. In other words, a bad contract must still be honored. When you, make, when you give your word, you have to keep your word. Even though, well, but I was deceived. Yeah, but you gave your word. But I was deceived. Yeah, but you gave your word. But I was deceived. Yeah, but you gave your word. Mm, that's a hard one for some people. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest the wrath be on us, because of an oath we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. And Joshua summoned them, and he said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants. Now notice that. Here is what I call the fruit of deception. People who live in deception live in servanthood the rest of their lives, and not good servanthood. I'm not talking about a heart of servants. They live in servanthood. They, they never become leaders. They never fulfill their destinies. Deception is never a path to God's will. Please let me say that again. Deception is never a path to God's will. You shall never be anything but servants. You'll, you'll, you'll never achieve your destiny. There, there'll be no greatness in your life. Deception is never a path to greatness. Cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we greatly feared for our lives because of you and did this thing. But now, so in other words, we deceived you, and it's your fault. <laughs> it's, it's always amazing to me. When you catch people in deception, they say, it's your fault. We were afraid of you. <laughs> so he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Whoa. There's that place that he should choose again. There's, there's Mount Moriah. There's Temple Mount. It keeps being brought up, the place that he should choose. Chapter 10, verse 1. As soon as Adonai Zedek, does that sound familiar? Melchizedek, 
Adonai Zedek. Adonai is God. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem. Here's a guy now imitating who Jesus used to be. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai, king of Jerusalem, and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hohem, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and Dibar, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike Gibeon, for he has made peace with Joshua and with all the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went to Gilgal. He and all the people of war went with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And Joshua, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now notice, I talked to you the other day, strategy is your greatest weapon. They were not expecting this. They marched all night. They got there before anybody could expect them. 